The following production is part of the We Be Geeks Podcast Collective. is part of the Red 5 Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts, visit red5network.com. Produced with podcasting gear from Tascam. Trust your audio to Tascam. Sound thinking. Hey, nerds. Discover your geeky haven with Twink.com. We've been delivering you the best products and all things pop culture for more than 20 years. Enjoy a wide selection of officially licensed merch from your favorite fandoms. We carry top brands from Disney, Funko, Marvel, and DC, Star Wars, Harry Potter, and much, much more. We also offer an array of exclusives that you won't find anywhere else. With all these collectible goods, you're definitely going to need a bigger boat. Dive in with code WINGEEKS15 to save 15% off your first order at toying.com. Welcome to another episode of Wookiee Radio. It is the Smugglers 4. Yes, I said that right. Smugglers 4. Uh, It is Ken, Derek, JTC, and myself, Mike. Uh, For those who don't know, JTC is a comic book cover artist for Marvel Comics. Uh, Does a lot of the action, well, does the action figure variant covers for for the Star Wars line and has done a lot of negative uh, prints for other Marvel titles and in the past some action figure variants for other titles outside of Star Wars but in the Star Wars realm has done all the action figure variants uh, I have joked in the past he is my crack dealer because I am s- still stuck on collecting all as many of those covers as my store gets so yes I am one of the few still collecting them <laughs> so thank you John um, you. good to be back but John is our official part-time co-host on the show. So when we hit he's milestones been for a while, it's been a while. Well, he's been busy for a while. Been a bit nuts, man. But it's like I said, it's great to be back. Um, check out the homepage, wookieradio.net. On the homepage, get our affiliates like Biddy Boomers. Use code WeBeGeeks for 15% off your Bluetooth speaker, whether it's the small regular Biddy Boomers or what they call the Biggie Boomer, which you can get either Grogu or Darth Vader. And it's an eight inch speaker that's Bluetooth, which is awesome. Uh, we have a bunch of their. Uh, smaller one and I think they're one and a half inch speakers and they're great uh, also too as you heard in our in our pre-show uh, toink.com use code WINGEEKS15 for 15% off your purchase there 
Um, I just didn't, I was going to do the pick of the week for this week. I just did not see anything initially that grabbed my eye, but I'll get it up on Instagram later in the week. Well, there's a cool one for, um, that I just, uh, I'm just flipping through it right now. Actually, um, the, the front page of it, there's, um, for, since it is the holiday season and we've j- just a couple weeks ago past life day. Um, if you look for all your pin collectors, there is a holiday wicket, the Ewok enamel pin pick of the week right there. Oh, nice. There we go. We'll make it's, that the pick of the week. Wicket's wearing a nice green Santa or elf hat and carrying a candy cane. It's kind of cool looking. Cool. That's our pick of the week then. And it is one of, they're running a buy three, get one free sale all over the site. Yeah. And it's one of the items that's on the buy three, get one free. Very I cool. believe it's a mix and match. Very cool. So, um, since John is joining us this week, usually, catch up. usually he starts asking us questions of about stuff that's come out, our thoughts, our take. It's almost like a JTC takeover show, which is fine. It's perfect. So, uh, to keep in that tradition, there's been a lot that has come out since you have joined us last. So what questions I, I I'm almost tempted to say I'm taking the back seat. You're driving the show because <laughs> I know you've got a lot of questions for us that you want to, you would love to get answers for. Well, well you know, I, mean, I think one of the things I'm really just excited about lately has just been, and, and I'm curious what your guys take is, is, and this is like a very broad conversation point. I think it can lead to a lot of different things, but like the state of star Wars, not just in, mm. in like film and television, but the, all the other mediums, you know, how are things going with the rides now, um, the merchandise, because it's it's been pretty fascinating. One of the things I've been working on a lot lately is uh, I've been doing a lot of work um, in merchandising. Um, I can't really, I don't want to divulge too much because I'm not sure exactly what my my non-disclosures are, will well, permit me to say. But um, it's giving me somewhat of a fresh perspective on the back end of the things, not just the products themselves, like the the forward product, but also the back end. And I'm just curious what your guys' take is on the nature of Star Wars, where it is pop culturally, where it is in the subculture of people like ourselves who have grown up with the brand, um, but also in the, the broader scheme of like as with our children, you know, what how you view the different generations um, and how Star, Star Wars has impacted that. Holy moly, can you ask a question? <laughs> yeah. Hey, you you open the doors, I'm going to walk yeah. right in. Um, <laughs> Which is you certainly so did. Start, I'll go ahead and start this one off. Um, I'm, I think if you look at it, it's a, because, the. I mean, before the show we were talking about the world is a totally different place. But also the world of geekdom and the world of basically um, franchises and the way um, pop culture in general is dealt with. It's such a so much of a huge, much um, bigger universe than it ever was before. Now, um, when we were growing up, Star Wars fans loved Star Wars and they were but we were the geeks. We were the subculture hiding somewhere else to where now the people that were all these um, subcultures are getting beat up and picked on and stuffed in lockers right. and all this uh, the stereotypical things are the guys that are actually running the world now. Uh, more like the, the, what was mainstream when we were kids is now more of the the subculture but it's weird because it's flipped well to, to, so, to tag on to that i mean we, we talked about too before show life day just happened mm-hmm. well, when, when that came out we're all going to school going did y'all see star wars last night yeah it was horrible can you believe how cheesy it was mm-hmm. yeah but it was awesome wasn't it 
We didn't care. It was Star Wars. We got to see our yeah. heroes on the screen again. It, it's like, well, you, and obviously that's, like, well, you know, there's another movie coming, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the, the holiday special helped spur that rumor of, well, if they're doing this, there's got to be a, another movie coming. Yeah. So, but well, exactly. no more B. Arthur. <clears throat> yeah. True. Well, uh, I kind of wish there was some more B. Arthur. I do as well. Arthur in Star Wars, but you know, <laughs> that's just me. <laughs> Achmino was an awesome section of that holiday special. So was Art Carney. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, he was. <laughs> he was that entire special. <laughs> 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 but um, getting back to the my point I had was the fact that um, Star Wars, I think, has just as many fans, if not more fans than ever did before. The problem is the pop culture. What we see now is pop culture because it didn't that, that term didn't exist back then. What we see is, is such a so much of a larger um, demographic of the population now that Star Wars is now a big splash in a ginormous pond. <laughs> So it's like, yeah, we're it's still strong and um, things, but Star Trek now for some reason because always Star Trek and Star Wars went back and forth. When Star Wars was huge, Star Trek dropped, took the back seat. When Star Trek came back super strong, Star Wars took the back seat. Now they're both hitting at the same time. Plus, you have things like Marvel in there. You have the Harry Potter in there. You have all these other fandoms that are fighting for the same space, but not taking anything away from any of the other ones. Which right. is interesting because, like I said, back in the day before the internet and before you knew there were other fans like you you basically chose one item and then um, kept going until you moved on to something else people aren't moving on they're just picking up another one and keeping where they were at so I think Star Wars is still strong but it doesn't look as strong as it always was if that makes any sense Okay. Because it's uh, shouting into a um, into a giant room where everybody's shouting. (laughs) Well, I I think the other problem is too, um, and it's strange that I'm going to actually reference a wrestling show that I listened to on Sirius XM called Busted Open. I'm I'm well aware of Busted Open. (laughs) I I would love to get Dave Lagreca on Weeby Geeks, but. Because I think it'd be an interesting guest to have, but he's one of those people. It's he, he kind of irks me. I mean, he makes a lot of great points, but he he's like nails on a chalkboard a little bit too. Um, but it's okay. I, again, I, I still want to get him on the show because I mean, he, he's a legend when it comes to a, a podcaster or a, a show similar to podcasting. Um, I mean, he's built up a show that's over thirteen years old. But mm-hmm. but he they have mentioned on the show it's the social media. That is damaging fandoms, whether it's wrestling, whether it's Star Wars, whether it's and, and it's the people who are so negative about things that you're almost questioning, are they are they truly fans of, of what they're complaining about or are they just people going, oh, here's something that we can rile people up and we're just going to be vocal and, and just stir the pot. And that's, and that's a great point. And, and just for, for one second. So as we were just so everyone's aware, uh, before we started recording, we discussed the idea. We were discussing like cons and how I just recently got back from my first show since the pandemic. And we were discussing some of the, the differences that have occurred since the pandemic and not just from cons, but in, in all forms of, of media. Um, and how the world has changed for better or for worse. And are those changes actually better or are they worse or are they just, it's a new world and we're changing and having to accommodate this, this new way of, of communicating and dealing with things post pandemic. 
when you talk about social media and, and, and it being, is it a, is it a bad thing? Or is again, is that just a new way we've got to learn to communicate? Has that always been there in fandom? It's just now amplified. I'm, and again, I'm asking this question, like, has there always been I think, I th- a bad batch? I think <laughs> there have, I think there, yeah, really. I think there have always been elements of it, but I think social media has definitely amplified it. But on hand too, you also have to wonder if some of them might be real people with real feelings like that and not trolls. And how do you differ- differentiate that? Well, I think another problem that we have with social media in general is um, the same thing I've said for a long time that the um, the internet sounding board allows a lot of times that, and it, there's no way to know the difference of a right. very small minority of the people sounding like ev- like they are everybody. Mm-hmm. Right. Especially um, especially when you get to people who are throwing spouting negativity. If you re- it seems like the internet and the um, social media has allowed if you don't like something. Thing, you scream it at the top of your lungs and everybody thinks the entire fan base hates it. Whereas the people who are loving it, enjoying it, or just sitting back and relaxing and having their good time usually aren't saying anything. Well, I so think you may have the very large majority of the people sitting back enjoying the product, but the, the small, the really, really small minority on the internet that hates it are the only ones that anybody hears. So that looks like that's everybody. Yeah, I, I, I think, think that's a problem that we've had on the internet for a long time. And um, that's why I've said, told people for a long for a really long time on any podcast i've been on on my show um geek watch one on here that if you like something if you're enjoying it, if you're loving it shout it to the top of the rooftops on get on your keyboard and let everybody know because the only way people are going to know that people are actually liking this also is if you tell them if you don't say anything then they but just assume everybody hates it the other, on the other end too if if you don't legitimately don't like something then you know you totally have a right to that but yeah you know maybe maybe have you know give us some reasons why you don't like it so that you know we can have an actual discussion about it instead of shouting you know this is junk you know yeah the usual stuff we get and also going with that is um another thing trend i've seen that's really worrying is um especially social since we're on social media social media has made it so it <clears> seems <throat> like if uh, there's a lot of people who have got taken the opinion that if you don't agree with what i'm saying you absolutely hate everything about me right right which is that not a couple points here is that not an element of our version of fandom of of, of nerddom if you will um back in the day one's identity was very tightly tied to what you were into right like yeah mm-hmm. you were now with the more um mainstream acceptance like i can go into a bar and talk about marvel or star wars with anybody right whereas back when right. i was a kid that wasn't you know it was like you went and you talked about baseball but you're not going to want to talk about that luke skywalker guy now it's, it's it's a much more common thing and i think it becomes it's a more even more casual fandom with a lot of stuff um which i think is healthy uh yes to the social media point but a couple of interesting things I've noticed um, as of late, because uh, we were there, we all witnessed animosity before the internet. Now, I mean, it wasn't really before the internet, but before social media it was, you know, we all witnessed the prequels and yeah. the, <laughs> even without Twitter or Facebook, we all saw what people thought of the prequels. 
Uh, one of the driving forces behind that was ain't it cool news. Well, and, and yes, so the, the internet was a part of it, but even like there were people like that, like my friends weren't big internet people. I'm a farm boy, man, you know? So like, yeah. And it seems like a lot of the sentiments that were shared that I he, he read up to today were sentiments that myself and some of my friends shared about the prequels. Now, one of the interesting things I'm seeing is discourses also now move. The, the, the mimetic nature of fandom with the internet can kind of ebb and flow in a positive way, too. And that, like, the prequels now are a beloved part of Star Wars. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. We, we, we talked about this from the get-go, man. The Force Awakens was blatantly a argument, like, away from the prequel mentality, right? Like, they're like, no, this is your old Star Wars. We're basically remaking A New Hope. You know, this is not going to be any of that stuff. I mean, think about all the hype they gave of, like, this got real creatures in it. These are real puppets. That's not even a concern anymore. And... I think culturally, even though a lot of people might have issues with the prequels, I have found amongst, you know, fans of mine, for example, like they're stoked about prequel stuff. They love the Jar Jar was one of the most excited. I got I get more got more requests to do the Jar Jar figure than almost any other character in, in recent memory. Which I thought I was shocked. Awesome. I'm sorry. <laughs> I told you guys he was awesome. I was blown away no. just because I was conditioned that it's like everyone hates this character, but that's not the case anymore. And I think the I think social media has helped cultivate that group and generation of fans to profess their love online for that, which I think is a good thing. Well, I also got to remember too the fan those fans who loved the prequels were kids when they came out. They're 100%. Like, when we're talking. 20 years, right? 20, you're, almost you're 25 years. Like nostalgia line. They're mm-hmm. adults now. Yeah. They're with kids. Well, I noticed that at the comic so, shop today. I mean, it's, okay. it's, it's like us, you know, we were kids when the original trilogy came out. We thought it was the greatest thing on, on earth. The older sci-fi fans are like <laughs> garbage, mediocre. Now looking back. Yeah. The films are mediocre films. Sorry, they're they're gold for me because mm-hmm. I was a kid when I got trapped into it. Well, the point you're making there, Mike, is um, the whole idea of the nostalgia swinging around. I went to the comic shop today. Gargoyles number one is on the comic shelf with like six different covers from Dynamite Comics, and they've just announced a Darkwing Duck co- new comic book series coming out. Yeah. So Disney Afternoons oh, really? is the nostalgia right now. Cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That was from the mid '90s. My daughter is getting a water bottle from my mom for Christmas of the original Ducktales artwork. Yeah. She watched the new, ended up finding the original. She goes, "Man, the original is so much." better than the new <laughs> well it also lasted a lot longer it wasn't aimed at young like little little kids yeah the new one was fun yeah. but it wasn't it was aimed at a much younger audience than the first one was yeah <clears throat> but um back to what john was saying for the very beginning of the question that we got before we got off into the weeds was the state of star wars in general i think it actually is doing better than um the first couple of years after disney bought it because I, in my opinion when um they first bought star wars a um, big mistake they did and they for a long time they were making this mistake was announcing movies before they even put pencil to paper. Yeah, they bought the bought Lucasfilm and said, "Okay, you got seven, eight, nine coming in these years, and then you will have other movies in between them." And no one had written anything down yet. Well, that's, that's when they the finally other thing. stopped. They flooded. They flooded. You know, every with all these plans and ideas and thoughts and. After a while, it was just like, okay, maybe you need to take yeah. a step back for I mean, a second. Well, Star, Star, Star Wars, Wars is, Star Wars is not Marvel. Star Wars is not DC. To to hit 
a new film every year for five years, what I think was a bit much for the Star Wars fan because we're not conditioned to it. A new film never worked. A new film every other year would have been fine. Yeah. Which is what we're about to go back into mm-hmm. with 25, yeah, sure. 27, 29. Mm-hmm. Well, we've got to remember Lucasfilm before Disney bought it did not have the size to, to be able to do a film every year. The company was not that big. If you think about it, the number of employees actually legit working for Lucasfilm was not that many yeah, compared but I, to a company the size of the production side of Disney. But I, but I think if I think it was the it was explosive growth was the problem at the very beginning. But it I, went from a little bit uh, a big company in a little pond to the little bit little part of a ginormous company. What the other difference <laughs> was too, you had Lucas still very hands on, so yeah, it was going to take more time to. Stay to get the vision through, hence why it was two to three years between films. Mm-hmm. I mean, filming doesn't didn't take that long, but it was wanting to make sure everything else was the way he wanted it. Now, when you have everyone else who comes in, he's not hands-on anymore. And you get someone like J.J. Abrams, Ryan Johnson, Gareth Edwards, and they're used to getting a film in and out one year, 18 months. It's in and out in 18 months. Mm-hmm. Also, I think some of these names may have been the wrong names to get because, yes, they love they may have loved Star Wars, but Star Wars is a different type of film to make. I think Garrett, Gareth I think Edwards was, was perfect for Rogue One. Yeah. Sorry. He was perfect for but, Rogue One. But the thing is, yeah, they, had to, they had to hire whoever the biggest name was because their, Disney was trying to prove a point saying, hey. Lucasfilm was worth the the money we paid. Right. So they had to mm. buy it, get the biggest, best, what whoever thought was the hottest, biggest guys out there to do it. Now, when you look, when you get into where, when they stopped announcing movies, they started doing series one at a time, getting it done and move on to the next one. To, you know what I mean? There's multiple in production, but you could tell the production in general has slowed down. They're actually focusing on what they're doing. Right. Instead of trying to get everything out right. there as fast as possible. I think once they the slowed down and started to pace them themselves, brought in some people that um, either were not known for the medium they're in, like Favreau and Filoni were not known for small screen. Filoni was, or Favreau was a big screen guy. Filoni was an animation guy. So, okay, let's let them deal with it, get this developed to figure out what it is. And then they found, oh, that works. Well, let's bring in someone else and let them have the time to actually develop it and figure it out. And then we'll tell you when it's coming once we know it's coming. I think the, I think the mistake with the sequel trilogy, uh, and I've said it in the past, I don't remember, is if they were going to have J.J. Abrams be the one name to drive the trilogy home. Cool. He directed the first one. He should have taken a George Lucas approach to the second one with Ryan Johnson, maybe even done the same thing with the third one like he had done with Return of the Jedi, but still be very hands-on, oversee to make sure a vision was followed all the way through. And I don't think that's, that's what well, we've that's got what the, with the sequels. Problem was they didn't have a vision. They no. didn't have a vision for all three together, yeah. which is what they should have had. We've said that a bunch of times before. Yeah, that's the point we've always made. This Star Wars uh, was supposed to be an actual trilogy, which is three parts of the same story, not a relay race. C- correct. And I mean, right. we've, we've discussed that in the past. I mean, yeah. I don't think we need to rehash <laughs> Last Jedi or Rise of Skywalker. I, th- I think we can all agree that I mean, mm-hmm. mistakes I, were made. <laughs> I, I've said my piece on those those movies as well. Yeah. But with that being said, I mean, I would argue that 
the recent slew of Star Wars material from the series and stuff, every single one of those that has come out, both live action and animated, feels like there's a point to be made by telling this story. There's a story to be told, not a Mm -hmm. slot we have to fulfill in the whiteboard of release dates. Right. Right. And I I think actually that a lot of that falls to one name. And that's Filoni. 100,000%. Since Favreau brought him into Mandalorian, he all of a sudden, he got the promotion to what, vice president in charge of creative or whatever his official title is. And now all of a sudden, everything actually feels like Star Wars. And it's actually telling stories up as part of the whole Star Wars story. This is the guy, remember, this is the guy that sat and learned from George Lucas for what, 10, 15 years working directly with George? Yep. Mm -hmm. And George teaching him how to tell Star Wars stories. Now, I think there's two other medias that we're, we're leaving out unjustly. And, and that's the, the written with the comics and, and books. I was going to say the novels and uh, well, uh, so are the comics. The comics are mm-hmm. are doing great, um, but you also too. Said I can't. It just sounds like I'm humble bragging. So I well, I, I well, will no, say hey, it because <laughs> remember, you don't write the comics. You're just doing the artwork on them. I'm just you're just doing covers. Yes, but still, I yes. <laughs> um, I mean, who would have thought? What six years later, Afra still going strong with her own title? Mm-hmm. Who would have thought bringing Valance back with the Bounty Hunters title and then tying the relationship between him and Han from their from the Academy days would, would be so strong? You know, the resurgence of of Kira with the with the Crimson lines. I think it's it's. I think everyone can agree that they are doing about as good of a job of cultivating the expanded universe stuff into the modern canon as they could possibly do. Yes. Um, yeah. You know, I, there, I think one, one of the only gripes I have had of the more recent Star Wars stuff is I felt that I liked Mandalorian season two quite a bit, but I felt that there were parts of it that was starting to feel a little too fan servicey, if you will, uh-huh. um, with some of the cameos and things like that. I can see that. I, however, feel that that I understand why they did it, but I don't feel that almost any other inclusion of expanded universe stuff has not been fan service. It has actually been to the betterment of the story. I remember like, you know, I remember when uh, with rebels, when they were bringing in Thrawn and I'll be honest with you, I was a little nervous about it. Cause I was like, man, you know, oh, don't, don't do this with Thrawn, man. Like don't, don't make him just shoehorned in there because everyone's going to be like, cool. It's Thrawn. Dude, he was awesome. And yeah. then, you know, um, but I think the that, novels, Zahn's novels were the perfect reintroduction of the character into the modern universe. And it didn't feel fan service at all. It felt at the service of the story and the universe at large for Star Wars. Well, I think that but didn't, point, the, didn't um, Zahn say, though, that he was approached about what's the best way to reintroduce Zahn or Thrawn into they were talking about reintroducing him to throw into Rebels. How would they how would he do it? Yeah, I know they did. Um, he actually helped them write the character when they first brought him into um, Rebels. They actually brought Timothy Zahn on as a consultant to actually help that make to make sure that they had Thrawn correctly. That's why we got the Thrawn that we had seen uh, all the way back from ninety. What was it? Ninety one. That's yeah. the Thrawn we got. Well, they I, changed the details of his past, but kept the character exactly who he is. Well, I think I think when where a lot of the hate with Disney and, and Star Wars fans came in the beginning is Disney or Lu- the new Lucasfilm 
I guess is the best way to put it. The new Lucasfilm said, expanded universe is no more. It's not canon. And of course, you know, we've said many, many times, Lucas has said during the time that he owned the company, expanded universe is, is not canon. Never was. Never was. It's just the devil's playground. Mm-hmm. It is. That is the twilight to the Star Wars universe. Yeah. Well, I think what it was, was um, especially people who went to the back to the beginning of Star Wars or not the beginning, but the beginning of Star Wars expanding universe when Thrawn was first introduced when Heir of the Empire, because basically there were books before Heir of the Empire, but basically Heir of the Empire almost single-handedly exploded into this Lucasfilm books. Yeah. <laughs> the publishing arm of Lucasfilm went bananas after that because of what happened with Heir of the Empire and those, that trilogy. Yeah. It, it, um, it brought back the resurgence so, after Splinter, Splinter of a Mind's Eye. But for the next nine or 10 years, the, it actually, um, Del Rey, or I think the publisher was Del Rey even back then. They, and um, they actually made sure that for the most part everything lined up right all the events that happened in the books and in the movies all still worked it worked into the in the, the um, universe that you're in so when you had a rogue rogue squadron novel you could reference that five years or ten years down the timeline because that happened in this universe right so um but so even though Lucas said hey this is not part of the actual main Canon the fans who read all those books said hey well I know this the story of what happens later I because think it fits so seamlessly into there. I think now, the, it got a little murky when you get into the mid 2000s and stuff with some of the other things. And they added yeah. prequels and everything else. It made it a little bit harder to keep everything together, which is another reason why Disney would let that go. <laughs> I think the mistake Disney or the new Lucasfilm made that they didn't make or they didn't say until almost four or five years in when they brought back Thrawn into Rebels is they should have said the EU is no longer canon it's no longer it's now legends material but when we can as we can we will be reintroducing these characters in you know the more important characters into the modern or into what is now official canon well that, just give us time to actually, flush it out in a different way they did say that when they introduced when they said uh, when they said um that the eu was now going to be turned into legends and no longer canon they had said it but it is remember we can always use it as a mine for ideas and things right. to be brought in later right it was always intended to be a uh, resource right but the yeah but the you fan don't wanna, you don't want to commit to something that you don't, but the fan be to do. All the fandom heard was the EU is not canon. Yeah, forget the rest of it. EU is not canon. Their problem, but to this point, like it never was. Exactly. Right? Like it, it. I guess the thing that I'm I'm really enjoying with how they're handling it is that they're not just plugging it in for the sake of hey, cool. It's almost like pop culture has become such a family guy episode, right? It's not <laughs> the, the, the joke isn't really a joke. It's just member berries. Like that's all it's become within a lot of cases. And I think Star Wars, especially as of late, has mined the expanded universe the right way. You know, it's it's given people, it's not just remember, oh, you know, for us, for us nerds that are in the know, isn't this cool? It's we're growing this now. And I think they're also doing a wonderful job of not just incorporating that past, that, you know, unofficial past into the more modern storytelling. But they're also creating new characters. I mean, I think that's one of the biggest new things that Star Wars has been doing correct is, you know, I believe the post-sequel uh, 
Star Wars has created some of the best new characters that I'm excited to see where they go than the new sequel movies did create. You know, we had our our Afras. We yeah. My favorite character ever, Ahsoka Tano, has just exploded. I mean, yep. mm-hmm. uh, Ahsoka is like uh, GalaxyCon. Nobody, the, the two biggest lines I saw of any celebrities were were both related to Ahsoka. Right? It was Rosario and Ahsoka's uh, voice actress from Ashley. from the Clone Wars. Ashley, Ashley Shine, yeah. Better believe it. She was. They were both killing it, man. And like that warmed my heart yep. to see. I think. Um, for, for me, like in the comics, to see three of my favorite characters from the original comics, uh, from when Marvel first had it, get brought into canon with Valance, with Crimson Jack, which he makes his canonical debut in the Legends of the Halcyon about the Star Cruiser. And, you know, you brought the character back first on issue one, but didn't get a storyline until later over in IDW, but Jackson. Right. I mean, those were three characters. I I mean, Jackson didn't have like two or three issues in the original book, but he was a character that stood out to me. It's like, oh, there's a green bugs bunny in this in this universe. Cool. Mm -hmm. Especially as a kid. I remember a green bugs bunny. Valance, I absolutely loved. You know, he was just one of those bounty hunters that just kept coming back. It's like, very cool. Crimson Jack I was like, this guy's a space pirate, but he looks like Thundar the Barbarian, sort of. <laughs> I mean, everyone else is fully clothed, and yet he, he's dressed like something out of, he, he should be, he, Roger. almost. But now we get, we have those characters canon through the comics, hmm. which is great. I'm curious to see who else comes along. But I have thoroughly enjoyed, uh, and big, I'm, I'm still going to say it, big thank you to, to Karen Gillian for Black Crescenton, for Afra, for BT1, for Trips, Triple Zero, for Taggy, the way he brought Taggy uh, into the Vader line, Vader stuff. Absolutely. The characters he created during the Vader series that later spun off Afra have been taken so well and embraced so well. Um, I love it. And there are characters that I have embraced uh, so much so, despite the fact that he probably could have been a little bulkier. I agree with a lot of collectors. I don't care. I have my black chrysanthemum six inch fig. Heck yeah. <laughs> I, I so nerded out. I, I think we've discussed like my my wife and my kids are they're not comic book people. Um, and uh, to, to watch the book of Boba Fett and to see him show up with the twins mm-hmm. in that one scene just warmed my heart to be like, you know, yeah, I, I got to draw that guy like that was pretty cool. That, you know? That's what was been cool about um mm-hmm. The current, the um, small screen Star Wars we've been getting now is because bringing in animated and comic book characters and putting them on the live action. Like you said, Ahsoka, Thrawn. Uh, well, we've not seen Thrawn yet. We will. Because he's going to be, everybody knows it's the worst kept secret of Star Wars. He's going to be in Ahsoka. <laughs> yeah. But um, they're seeing Chrysanthemum, yeah. seeing some of these other characters that we've only seen drawn. Yeah. That now we're seeing in live action. I'm holding out hope we can get Silo from the Vader series. If oh, nothing else, yes. he was, uh, I don't know if you guys are aware. I think I've mentioned this to you before, but that's, uh, the character was actually based on Salvador La Roca. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, you know, if, if they can get Salvador a, a nice, uh, SAG payday, I'm all about that kind of stuff. <laughs> I'm still waiting for Afro to make her appearance. 
it's bound to happen. I think you got to figure out where and when and how. I think right now, working as an intern while she's in university under Luthen would be perfect. Oh, yeah. Well, it's absolutely perfect because we're still in that early stage where where she's still in like in that university era at this point. Well, I mean, they're they are slowly. I I, I still w- am excited for them to expand it a bit more, but they are starting to broaden their horizons a bit with time frames. Yep. Um, you know, which is something I've I've pushed for for a long time. Um, you know, I'm I'm really happy with the direction where Star Wars is heading. Just just from a narrative standpoint, you know that. How how many years have I been saying, like, dude, Star Wars has to start telling other stories than just, like, it's some space wizards in this, related to this one family, and here we go. I mean, right. you know, one of the things, Mike, you and I have talked about is our, our, how much we love Rogue One, if for nothing else, because it's this war movie. It's, it's totally Star Wars, and it yeah. feels Star Wars, but it's not a quote-unquote Star Wars movie. It just, it's a war movie in the Star Wars universe. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, Andor has. That's what I liked about Andor so much. There you go, and you know, I'm, I'm in no way trying to like claim any inside baseball, but like I think that could have been one of the reasons why Andor was also maybe a smart choice to try and get out to other people, because movies like that and Rogue One, there are people that aren't Star Wars fans that like Rogue One because it feels like it's an independent movie in and of itself. Yes. You know, like, you don't have to know what the Death Star is. You just need to know it's a big weapon and these bad space Nazis have it. And here's this ragtag group of rebels that are going to try and blow it up and prevent it from getting into the bad guy's hands. Start great. Rogue One. Um, I know everyone says it's the beachhead movie that, that needed to be made. Uh, I've always said it's the video game I always wanted to see on screen. But if we wanted to do analogies... It is the Star Wars Dirty Dozen, Mm -hmm. and Andor is the Dirty Dozen TV series that had Larry Wilcox in it. And I believe still had, um, what's his name from the... uh from the film, I can't think the the main the the, the officer who's not the prisoner that organized put the whole group together. Oh, I can't think of his name. I don't remember. I never saw the series. Well, I think you also. I mean, on, on that same token, it's one of the reasons I think that Mandalorian has been so successful. Is it's lone wolf and cub in outer space, man. It's mm-hmm. it's the yes. western. It's a samurai movie. Like it's a very simple, straightforward, awesome plot that speaks to people that aren't fans of Star Wars. Anyone can watch that and be like, this is just a cool show. The more you know about Star Wars, the better, which goes back to our conversation earlier about like not just giving fan service to people, but just telling an awesome story and incorporating fan service where it works because it just it's adding seasoning to the steak, but it's not the meal. The meal is, right. is just the Mandalorian's awesome. Right. All those little cool side things mm-hmm. are just it just makes it all the more juicy for those of us that know what we're talking about. I, yeah, well, right. part of it I think is um, when you go back to um, where Star Wars started, A New Hope wasn't a Star Wars story. <laughs> That's if you think about it, it's not. It is, and it, um, and it basically through broad strokes of um, epic storytelling, he's told he tells like sixteen. He takes mythology and um, stories from like fifty or sixty different places and puts it all into one movie. But it's the giant tropes that have always been there. It's good versus evil. It's the hero's journey. It's all these things that you look at. Right. What has made enduring stories through the millennia? What stories have? What 
what stories in humankind have um, stayed. Because we've been telling stories since ever since we crawled out of caves. I, but I know it's such a cliche. With us. I know it's well, such a cliche, but it's, I mean, it's the Joseph Campbell, right? It's the hero without yeah. faces. Like, yeah. Exactly. But he took that, made it into a movie, and all of a sudden it exploded. Because this is what people have been telling each other for thousands of years. <laughs> and he just put it on a screen. Well, Star Wars, when it does that, those broad strokes of mythology and stuff works really well. I think Mandalorian did some of that. They went back to telling a bigger story. I mean, with just two characters, but it wasn't what's happening in the entire galaxy. No, it was just these two characters living in this world. Mm-hmm. The Star Wars really, um, Luke, it was Luke Skywalker who gets thrown into a larger world, but it's still a story about a farm kid from Tatooine. Yeah. It speaks to everybody. It doesn't matter who you are. You know, Luke Skywalker is my hero because I'm a farm kid from Lafayette, Indiana, right? Like, mm-hmm. it speaks to me in that journey of wanting to grow past where you are and enter into a larger galaxy. Mm-hmm. You know, I, possibilities. I'm kind of the same way. I was born in a very small town in western Kentucky, moved to an even smaller town, and then gradually moved to bigger and bigger locations as I got older. Now, Orlando is probably one of the smaller of the larger communities I've lived in, Orlando, you know, that area, uh, the Orlando area. But this is where I feel the most comfortable. I go back home to visit family in Louisiana. I'm like, and I see like the technology, the internet. I'm like, yeah, I can't live on this. I, I, I can't. <laughs> There's there's no way mm-hmm. this this is gonna drive me nuts. I know for stuff I need to do for stuff in my life, I need the bandwidth, and I'm not gonna get that bandwidth here. <laughs> and, I, and I just both yeah. literal and metaphorical. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but I'm like, it, it's there. There is a lot to relate, and, and I think it's different too because of the time period. Even though Star Wars is still timeless. How we were as kids, and, and you know, there was no internet, there was no hollow net, whatever. It took forever for for water to travel around, mm-hmm. unless you happened to grab the right magazine. And if you didn't even, unless you traveled somewhere to visit family or went on vacation and saw the magazine, you didn't know. I need this magazine. I need to go take it to my local store and go get this. I know we'll sell here because my friends will buy it too. Mm-hmm. Type deal and. I was sounds like for you guys, I was spoiled. I grew up. I mean, um, Akron's not a big town, but it still sounds like huge compared to because we had a comic shops and stuff. And see, I didn't I didn't know. I know. Right. For me, the comic shop was the convenience store on the counter or on the corner or a bookstore. Basically started around here because mine started in 85. But still, I was about 10 when he moved in. (laughs) I at one point had two comic shops in my town. Wow. Hey, we're up to three now. <laughs> God, there's so many here in Orlando. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Well, you're in the middle of like theme park central. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, cre- comic creator central. There's a lot mm-hmm. of comic book creators down here. Oh, yeah. Between well, here and Tampa. The storytelling and um, the, it's like, I think the storytelling with like Luke Skywalker, that's what got me hooked on Star Wars. It's the same. Re- I grew up in the 1980s. I'm a couple of years younger than Mike and Derek, where um, when they deregulated cartoons and all of a sudden, and you had the explosion of what was Saturday morning and then morning and evening cartoons on um, TV in the 80s 
was when I was a kid. Yeah. And so growing up, I was playing. We were writing our own Ghostbuster stories. We were writing our own Transformer stories when we were all playing on the playgrounds and stuff. That's I think that's what's got me into um, performing and stuff now and um, doing the stunts, wrestling. That's what got me into wrestling. I watch wrestling not as much for the moves usually as the story. Are you going to have a decent story for me to watch? When I'm in the moves. Yeah. When I'm in the ring, I'm doing the same thing. And when I'm training guys in wrestling, I'm telling, I tell them straight up, Hey, you don't have to do anything in that ring. You can run back and forth. As long as you're telling a story, people don't care. You could have a five-star match of all moves and it's greatest moves the world's ever seen. At the end of the night, if the people didn't feel something, they're not even going to remember what you did by the time you go to the next match. If I get there and do two bumps, I hit the mat twice, but they um, love me and hate the guy I'm wrestling, they'll remember that all night. That's the key to all of it, right? Like that's, that's That's the point. And I think that's what Star Wars has really been knocking out of the park lately is Mm -hmm. you can distill the story down to just its most basic points, right? Like you mentioned, it's the original Star Wars trilogy is nothing more than just like, it's a small town boy realizing he's part of a bigger universe and discovering his place. In it. You know, mm-hmm. the Mandalorian is all about sacrificing everything you've known to be true to do what is right. And yeah. learning that like that new world that you're becoming, you're a part of, you're creating for yourself is important. Um, Don't stop. <laughs> you know what? Just like, wait, just clicked in my head. You go, if we look at Andor, the newest thing, if you look at it from the, um, from breaking it, distilling it down to its small points like that, it is a new hope with a different mentor. You get this small town kid on a um, the scavenger planet who gets pulled off to do something uh, to do something else, but it, it's not this wise Jedi that pulls him off. But you know, I said the same thing about and Phantom Menace. He's got a totally different hero's journey, but it's still the hero's journey. I said the same thing about Phantom Menace. Phantom Menace is a rehash of... A New Hope as well. Yeah. It's like poetry. It rhymes. Well, that's the, 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 yeah, this yeah. has been noticed a long time ago in Star Wars. It's the, what is it, the um, circle storytelling method of Star Wars or something like that? Yeah. I've heard of this. Yeah. Star Wars just keeps mm-hmm. circling around to the same thing. And the thing is, they've been, we've been doing it for thousands of years. There are thousands of stories, and it works every time. There's only so many Back stories. to my wrestling. The stuff that worked in the 60s and 70s in pro wrestling still works today. Oh, so funny wrestling story. Just real quick, I want to tell a little tangent. Um, Because I learned that just, my gosh, it was probably only, you know, maybe seven years ago or so. I did a show in Louisville, Kentucky, Mm -hmm. and I was blessed to be able to sit between Al Snow and Jim Cornette. Oh, Oh, nice. Wow. (laughs) And as a, I grew up a WWE fan. So, you know, I was, I obviously wanted to talk to Al about his old ECW stuff and that was awesome. Um, but, but Jim, I was really, I, I nerded out with him about like, you know, being Yokozuna's manager and his, his shoot interviews during the, uh, you know, pre-attitude era, like, you know, mm-hmm. you know, the new generation stuff. And Jim, dude, he just hammered into me. He's like, well, did you watch the old school, you know, NWA, Midnight Express, Rock and Roll Express, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, old smoky mountain old wrestling. My time. He gave me a copy of his book about, he wrote a book about just the road trips with the Midnight Express. Yeah. And he's like, you got to watch this because this is the basis of everything. And it, I started watching those old Saturday night, NWA, WCW. Oh, yeah. Especially. 
Mid-South, dude, it's the most quintessential storytelling. It is just what you said. It's There's a bad guy. There's a good guy. It's the most distilled storytelling, and it works forever, and it will always work yeah. because everyone always wants to see the big bad guys get beat. Finally, they're come up and from the good guys. Yep. To, to keep the tangent going, check out uh, Season Just Wrapped on uh, Vice Network or Vice TV, whatever it's called. It's called Tales from the Territory. Awesome. And it they first two episodes is Memphis. Oh, I see with Kaufman. Oh, yeah. And and the second episode was mainly focused on the whole Kaufman story arc, how the only two who knew the whole thing was a gimmick was Andy and Jerry. Genius. Mm-hmm. And even then, there were times Kaufman took it so far that Jerry's like, I don't know if this is still, if, if this is, if I'm being worked or not, or if he's gone off script or did he act? <laughs> um, and then they talk about uh, Peter Maivea's company, which you know we've been seeing in the show Young Rock, referenced a lot. Um, Mid-South Wrestling with uh, Cowboy Bill Bill West. Watts. Yeah. Bill Watts. Uh, that was the finale. Um, they talked about uh, the group out of Dallas with the Von Erics. Uh, that was uh, World Class. World Class. Uh, Portland Wrestling. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, Smoky Mountain. I haven't seen the Smoky Mountain one yet. It's a gym, so Maybe. yeah. No, no, no Smoky Mountain. Maybe. No, there's a Smoky Mountain episode. I think it is it because I, I've seen them. They're on YouTube also. Um, there's one that talks about uh, the Georgia group uh, that later Crockett. becomes Crockett. Yes. And then they also talk about uh, Florida Championship uh, with Ernie Ladd. On all, and that, you know, that's where I'm at. Yeah. yeah. Is the original Florida Championship Wrestling. The original Florida. It was all right here in this area, Tampa, Orlando. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the thing they kept emphasizing was the storytelling and how they sold it and just how real it became. And I think that's what's happening with Star Wars now is. Yeah, we're back to telling stories instead of just rushing through it. Yeah, I think I think the, there's a point. Rogue, right. Rogue One, I felt the story was there. Solo, I felt the story was there. Yeah, we've said before, I think, and I see all of us, the three of us agreed that Solo, the problem was not the movie. It was released. Solo was the timing of the release. But I I remember we we talked the night I saw Solo the day we we had recorded the episode because I I, I, I was blown away at how much I loved Solo. Mm -hmm. Because I I went into it thinking, like, it's going to be garbage. And it was awesome. Yep. That's because they primed you with that six months earlier. <laughs> but the but the but the sequel trilogy was rushed. I yeah. honestly felt was rushed. Even though there was two mm. years in between each film, it was rushed because there was nothing to the the thread wasn't strong enough to carry it through. I still love it because it's Star Wars. And it's, it was storytelling. I think it was too big of a story to or too many characters all at once type deal. It, it was no, yes, it was Ray's story, but it was also it was Ray's story and Finn's story and Poe's Post story, story and, and uh, what's happening with Luke and what's happening with Leia and what's happening with again. If, if you distill the sequel trilogy, right. none down. of them were fully complete stories. Exactly. Yeah. Like if, if you wanted to distill down the sequel trilogy, I can come up with five different ones, and I don't think it was successful on any five of those things. There are individual moments right. that are awesome, but from a cohesive story, I don't know what the sequel trilogy was about. Was it about the legacy of the Skywalker name can be anybody like, okay, that had nothing to do with like a large portion of those movies. Now we talked about how great, like 
Star, how, Star Wars has been retelling some of the same stories. But one of the other things I think that the modern Star Wars has been so successful at is also telling newer stories. I remember going in, and, and this I'm going to tie this even back to full circle some of the internet points we were making earlier. Obi-Wan Kenobi was a masterclass to me in telling the follow-up to that hero's journey story. Right. Like because after this, after the prequels, you had this this narrative about, you know, the, the grizzled warrior Obi-Wan and, and everything. And then you've got this amazing series about PTSD and losing your brother and being confronted by the demons of your past of your own creation. Like Obi-Wan Kenobi was an incredibly <coughs> excuse me, um, simple story. It was an incredibly simple story, but yet was told so wonderfully and it was told in a completely new way that it was both a prequel to the original trilogy but also a sequel to the original trilogy in a capacity of this is what happens to those people when they are betrayed and when these are the repercussions of that story if that makes sense let me ask this because i asked these guys this when when we got to it at the end of kenobi um my my feelings have been changing since we've just we've talked about it and since the scene or the sequence has happened. But how do you feel about that final battle between Obi Wan and Vader, where he he cuts open the mask and he sees that it is truly Anakin? How do you feel? Do you feel that takes away from the final battle in A New Hope at all with the way um, script was written? For that scene in a new hope or does it change it now change the the meaning behind that scene or does the words it, it? it could like i could say if it, if it does you're not wrong however with that said as a comic book fan i live in a world of let's let's go back and reveal that that one character back 500 issues ago was actually the arch enemy who's been the mastermind behind this whole plot all along if you will um, so I'm, I'm right. I, I find it difficult to fault changing current narrative if it doesn't crap on. Because don't get me wrong, it could have been very easy to say that sequence. I don't believe it ruined the Vader fight in A New Hope, the Obi Wan Vader fight. I feel it added more to it because the sequence where he cut it open. I mean, okay, I'm trying to think how to put this. In the original trilogy, a lightsaber fight was more than just two guys swinging laser swords around. There was a metaphor to it, right? I mean, if you look at all the stuff from, especially with Empire and Jedi, the way it was lit, the way it was framed, the way it was shot, a lightsaber fight is a metaphor for what is going on for the characters. The Vader-Obi-Wan fight, although awesome with all the cool special effects and all the whoop-de-doos and throwing rocks and force pushing each other around, that was all great. But the money scene was Obi-Wan getting buried, rising up, and cutting Vader's face to reveal Anakin so that he could finally see that Anakin is dead. And it was shot so beautifully with the face cut open, the red light emanating over to show like, it's like, oh my God, it's Anakin. And then the red covering him. And it's like, no, that's not Anakin anymore, dude. And the fact that they layered the voices over every single sequence there to me only made that fight between the two of them in a new hope, even more impactful. 
So could it have ruined it for you? If it did, like, dude, I'm not going to tell you you're wrong, man. That's not the place. But Initially, it, it did. Or better for me. I mean, I, I enjoyed the scene, but I, yeah, I felt it took away from the, the meaning so, of, of the final fight in A New Hope. Though, how? But it, but it, but I have. The, what makes you feel that way? See, I don't feel that way anymore. Oh, initially yeah. I did because, and, and I think part of it was I was like, I mean, I didn't mind the initial time they met when Obi Wan faces Vader for the first time, and he kind of gets a sense, crap, this is Anakin because you know here's the flames, and he's now roasting me like I left him to. You know, they're, I'm like, okay, cool. If they left it right there, I would have been fine, and it's, it's still preserved. My my initial feels for New Hope, their final battle there. But to see the initial battle, initially I thought it, it took away from that. But the more I thought about it, then going back and watching that scene a few more times, not the whole episode, just that scene, that sequence, I re, you know, I realized what you, you were saying, John, that no, it does enhance because, you know, Vader's line you know, last time we met, you were the master. I was the student. Because even in that final battle, Vader thought he had the best of Obi-Wan because he had beat him right. briefly before, only to find out, no, Obi-Wan still is the better. Well, the the other is the the line in, in New Hope where, where Vader says, uh, you know, he senses Obi-Wan's presence. And he says, he's you know, he senses a presence that he's not felt since. And then he doesn't finish a sentence. And for, you know, for a long time, Especially after Revenge of the Sith, you thought he meant since that time he fought right. Obi Wan and, and and almost you know and Obi Wan almost killed him, but now you know maybe it was further on. Could it have been that moment at the end of Obi Wan, uh, or who knows? I I feel that it. it... Again, like Obi-Wan, the point of Obi-Wan, the reason why it needed to be made was it was a story about trauma, right? And, like, and that's why, mm, back right. to our thing about the internet, um, for whether good or bad with the way the internet works in social media, I feel the internet has created a culture of instant gratification. And I feel we can all agree with that. Like, that's, yes. I'm not saying it's a bad thing or a good thing, but I think it's certainly changed the way we want immediacy. Um, you know, as a Star Trek fan as well, it took four seasons of really slow Deep Space Nine before the action really started picking up and kicking butt. Mm-hmm. But you needed those slower seasons. I felt Obi-Wan, man, I remember because I, I, I ended up not being able to watch start it for like, I missed the first three or four episodes. Like I, I got, because I was just so busy and I wasn't able to get, and man, it was just, it was getting lambasted, right? On social media. Like everyone was like, this shit sucks, making Obi-Wan weak, and oh, who's this Reva girl? She sucks, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, people, it's a story. If characters, if Obi-Wan started awesome, the only way he could end is to be awful or God. He can't be God. So like, let's start him weak. How is he weak? He's suffering trauma. He's dealt yep. with like, every, he's lost right. everything. And then you've got this character, this mm-hmm. character who is completely despicable, like unlikable. That's the point. Because then, oh, why is this girl so miserable? Oh my gosh. The bad guy that she's like following murdered everyone she's known in front of her face. Like this guy has taken away every Everything from Obi-Wan. He's taken everything away from her. From, from her. And by the way, we're going to now show you a side of Vader that we've been up until the end of Rogue One. We were only 
told about where Vader is this instrument of destruction the likes the galaxy has never seen, and you get to bear witness to this. You get to see that Vader is a murder machine, is a, is a he's terrible. He's a bad person. You know, we grew up thinking Vader's the coolest guy ever because he's Darth Vader. They made, in wrestling parlance, they made Vader a heel. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you need a bad guy to root against to really cheer your hero on when they make the big comeback. You know, when Ricky Morton gets the hot tag right. at the end, when he gets buried under all the rubble to come up and slice open that mask, you need that. And you need to have that juxtaposed with Reva and everything she's gone through to parallel with Obi-Wan. And yeah, I mean, if you think it was clumsy, the fact that they kind of tie that in at the end with Obi-Wan, you know, uh, the, the final, the finale wasn't actually Vader and Obi-Wan, but it was... Reva and and Obi Wan, I guess. But to me, like that was the point, right? It was these yeah. two characters who have been impacted by the same person right. coming together to move past this experience. Right. And because of where this story is, the final story of the, of the Obi Wan series cannot be Vader versus Obi Wan. No, right? Because we have that. We have the right. final Vader versus Obi Wan. It happened in A New Hope. Well, and, and the thing right. with Reva, you know, why is she so dead set on Obi Wan? Because the person she wants to kill is after him. That was so, that scene at the right. last door was so good. But she's yeah, after. Yeah. She wants to kill Vader. How does she get closer to Vader? Take out what Vader wants. Vader wants Obi Wan if he's still alive. She's found him. She wants to take him out so she can get closer and then take and one Vader out. There, there was one other cool thing that I liked that they did with um with Vader himself is. Like in A New Hope, in the original trilogies, you see Vader as kind of a more robotic, more of a like less emotional type, more stoic. But and then in the prequels, you saw Anakin. He was very emotional and very, you know, that's how he went over to the dark side so easily. But in the Obi-Wan series, you kind of saw the the in between where he starts Vader. But he's still got some of that emotional side from Anakin in him. I, I think it has Obi- quite shut off Anakin. I, I think right. I think in Obi Wan is where we finally see the the death of Anakin and the and the right. full and the full birth of Vader. My friend is truly now dead. You know, like I mean, mm-hmm. and that's why that scene where the mask is cut open is so important because it truly is. It's the one moment you see Anakin and Vader at the same time like physically and, and he did that was oddly. cool in that scene yes yeah when his voice kept switching from vader to anakin that was really cool how he did that yes because before that the only other time we had seen and experienced that and i thought it was as equally as powerful but the fact they got hayden christensen made it even more important was the, the scene when, with ah- Ahsoka and, and Anakin at the uh, was end of season one or two of Rebels? Two, uh, season one. two of Rebels. Okay, two. Um, yeah, yeah. For her and it's like, oh my God, like that scene. I, I, I'll still watch that scene on every once in a while, like where she yep. cuts open the mask and you see the eye. I mean, it's narratively, it's very impactful as well, but it's mm-hmm. not the same without Hayden Christensen being there and really bridging those two gaps. Right. right. So well, we're getting close to the end of the show. Boy, uh, I have like 20 other questions, guys. We just got through. We haven't even finished one. <laughs> hey, we do this weekly. <laughs> well, you know, yeah, exactly. 
Unfortunately, some of us have to get up early in the morning. You are more than welcome to come back next week. I just just, just shoot you me a text. Let me know. Week. Well, oh, well, he's part time co host, so he's welcome back anytime. Mm. Um, any any final thoughts or John, a, a final question that you you really want to get answered before we cut off for the night? And yes, the Star Cruiser is is really that cool on the inside. <laughs> Just real quick, then, if you guys could, with where Star Wars is now, Mm -hmm. what would be your dream thing to see in any medium? Don't care. What would you like to see come out? They haven't announced it, but they're about to in your perfect world. Go. Mm, That's a good question. I, 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 it, it is a good question. It's a very tough question, but I, first thing that comes to my head, uh, almost every time want Afra, whether it's animated or live action, I want a series on Afra. Would it be a similar to like her book as far as kind of that, like Indiana Jones smugglery kind yeah, of, yeah. would it, would it be almost episodic in like every, every issue slash week would be a different adventure or one, one big story? I, I think it could be episodic, like a young Indiana Jones like an old serial. format. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. It's her each week is you don't need to know what happened the week before. Unless there's a reference to, yeah, when I was here and I did this. But each week she's looking for a different artifact. Uh, Sort of like... uh Oh, what was that? That show, Tales of the Brass Monkey, as well. I think I remember that. Um, something like that. The Beastie Boys wrote a song about that. Just kidding. I don't think it was yeah. about that. Sort of. Of course. And of course, the the person who was leading that ended up on the show Seventh Heaven is now behind bars. But that's a whole other story. Um, but if it's something like that, where it's an adventure story um, going through, you know, Indiana Jones meets uh, a Han Solo-esque type vibe, which is what the character is, of, yes, yeah, she, she leans more towards the Empire, but she also leans more towards who's going to pay her the most. I was going to say, yeah. And, you know, let's have that anti-Indiana Jones, it belongs in a museum. No, it belongs in my paycheck <laughs> type vibe. I would love to see that. And even if it's, you know, that's what I kind of want to see with the series with her. Um, you know, we have BT, we have um, trips, we can have Chrysanthemum in and out. Um, you know, we could get more of the origin of her bringing, you know, bringing along Chrysanthemum. Valance would be great as well. I mean, so much where you can reference the OT characters and never see them. Maybe even Dash Rendar. Kyle Katan yeah. would Ooh, be great. That'd be cool. See Crimson Jack come along as well. I mean, it's, green space bunny. It's all that. Guys love Jackson, baby. Jackson, bring him on. Bring him Jim on. Derek, what's your choice, man? I think mine would jump a little bit farther away either. I'd prefer backwards. Um, one of my favorite my favorite series of Star Wars books uh, from the old EU was the old um, Young Jedi Knight series from Kevin Anderson and his wife, Rebecca. And um, I loved the stories of basically it was um, Jason and Jaina training to be Jedi at the Academy. So it's like, I would like, I would love to see if we go mix that with the old tales of the Jedi comics to where the um, go a couple thousand years in the past before the Jedi were, was all about dogma and rules and regulations to where it was a lot more of a wild West type feel. And then some of the original Jedi temples and what was it? What was life like? Cause I've always been a fan of Jedi. That's just me. <laughs> so let's see some of the young Jedi when they're first learning how to 
do all this stuff and they're um, figuring out what it is to be a Jedi. Like almost like an old like Ronin style samurai, like wondering yeah. warriors. Like oh, they're almost developing the force as they're going along. Mm-hmm. Kung Fu, the series. There you go. Yeah, man. That'd be awesome. They're actually yeah, building the code, man. Mm-hmm. What well, basically they're writing those books that Ray gets. Yes. There you go. Yeah. Exactly. The original Jedi tomes are being written down and figured out by these guys. Yeah. Well, there's there's your tie-in, man. You could literally get Daisy Ridley to come back and just shoot some bumpers or something like that of her reading the books. Mm-hmm. Well, that's mm. um, that's well, a couple of weeks ago. We were talking about um, another t- when we were talking about Tales of the Jedi and what we could do actually to turn this into a long form actual series. Bookend it with Jocasta New and actually have her sitting down with younglings telling them Tales of the Jedi. Booyah. Done. She starts the, starts the show and hands it off just like the uh, Mike was saying with young Indiana Jones Chronicles where Indy would start the story and then finish it up. Same thing except have her um, tell – then you could have random – you never know who it is you're talking about. Could be anybody from any time frame in Star Wars. But now oh. but now with what John's saying, it tweaks it even more. Some episodes, it's Costa New doing the bumpers. Other episodes, it's, it's Ray. Other episodes, it could mm-hmm. be Luke. Before you know, with his, he has his temple going. When he has the temple, uh, other well, episodes you could have a Mace Windu or a, a Qui Gon Jinn or an Obi Wan with Ewan McGregor. It you have all these, and you know, from the prequel area you have all these other characters you can bring in. You know, and you have from new trilogy or from the original trilogy on. You know, the two strong ones. You're well, you could have Rosario Dawson as well. What's Ahsoka being the three from non prequel to to be those bumpers for for the different stories? Well, what I love about it too, Ken, is the fact that to like kind of what you're saying, man, like every episode could or issue could literally just be a, its own standalone story. Like yeah, one could exactly. be two million years ago. Another one could be 500 years ago. As long as the story was written, you know, that's all that really matters. It's complete freedom for the creative teams, which is always great. Exactly. It's a true anthology series. Yeah. Yep. There you go, man. <clears throat> Derek, how about you, dude? I love anthologies. I'm actually going to say uh, I would like the complete opposite of what Ken just said. And uh, I would like to see more stories like Andor or like the Mandalorian where it's not about the Jedi or any of that or this, you know, uh, the larger scope of the Empire or anything to where it's more uh, smaller stories because it's a huge galaxy and there's a ton of stories out there. And I would just like to see see uh, bounty hunter stories smuggler stories more spy stories things like that yeah. you could also do something like that as an anthology yeah yeah i was gonna say i mean the bounty hunters in general i mean my gosh there's been we only are familiar with such a small crew you know and even those guys like right canonically how much really is there about dangar you know like right sky's the exactly. limit yep, yep. well thank you guys for a great week uh again uh Check out Biddy Boomers. Weeby Geeks is the code for 15% off. Toink.com. Use code WINGEEKS15 for 15% off there. And if you live within the continental U.S., it's free shipping. 
So, hey. Um, and actually, I want to end on this quick note as well. Uh, Zoe posted this up on our Adventures in Geek Instagram. Uh, and I want to share it because it is that time of year. And this is a project she started and it's a message I want to get out there. Uh, join us in our third year of our Adventures in Giving with many do- donations and lessons learned. Uh, you can help us by donating a toy to someone who could use it. If you get the toy in helping someone take a picture and tag us at Adventures in Geek, uh, we don't have a donation date yet, but we're still waiting on a few more to come in. We're looking forward to donating for the third year to Nathaniel's Toy Shop uh, with Nathaniel's Hope. Their story just spoke to me, so we plan on donating to them. And if you want to help... Uh, the toy shop, go to Nathaniel's Hope at Nathaniel's Hope on Instagram and use the QR code to help with their wish list. Uh, there are also, um, that's pretty much all that has on the toy drive. It, if you don't want to contribute to Nathaniel's Hope and uh, in, in using their QR code, contribute in the name of Adventures and Giving to your own charity or your own toy drive in your area and tag us on Instagram at Adventures and Geek at Wookie Radio, at Weeby Geeks, at Mighty Marvel Geeks, um, and use the hashtag Adventures in Giving uh, when you do your donation. Uh, I'd like to see this spread because um, this, this is a project that, you know, third year, it means a lot to Zoe. So it's something that she she started during the pandemic and we're going into our third year. It's a project she she keeps trying to push through. It's her own little personal project. So and it's not often, like I say, there's a teenager with a very giving heart and she's a kid who's always had a very giving heart. And now I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to squash that. I'm going to nurture that every, every bit I can. Oh yeah. So yeah. on that note, if there's nothing else, there's only one thing. Wait, yes. There is one more thing. They have released a trailer for season two of the bad batch. Yeah. Yes. They did that like hours right before we started the show, I believe. If I could share mm-hmm. my screen, it's actually what I was watching when you guys called. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it looks pretty good. Maybe if John's able to join us next week, we could definitely talk about it in our hopes. <laughs> if not, we'll still talk about it in our hopes. Uh, on that note, there's only one thing left to be said. Give the evacuation code signal. All right, cut the chatter. Jet, I can hold it. Pull out! No, I'm all right. I have placed information vital to the survival of the rebellion into the memory systems of this R2 unit. I've lost R2. Oh, my God.